This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Well, rather than uh, I'm booming out at the moment, it feels, but uh, I know the the guys are, this is a new mic, so just bear with us. Um, the, uh, the, The script used in that video is actually taken straight from the scripture that we're going to uh, look at today, which is uh, Luke 18, 9 to 14. So I'm not going to, uh, to read the whole of the passage because you've just watched the whole of the passage. Um, but this is the text that we're going to look at today. And this parable that Jesus was telling was directed to those who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on others. That's what it says in, uh, in verse 9. And Jesus focuses on two points at the end. He looks at who goes home justified and stresses the point that we need to humble ourselves. And those are the, the two points that we're going to look at um, during this, uh, this passage. Now, the parable is an illustration of these points, but I want you to just have a little think. If Jesus was walking around today and telling you that parable, who would be the two characters that he would be using as he told that parable? Because there aren't many Pharisees in Malmesbury, and there might be a few tax collectors, but then certainly they don't wander around in the way in which um, we're familiar with them today. So which two actors would he choose? And if you've got those two characters in your mind, to which can you see traits in yourself in those two characters? Because that's what Jesus wants us to think about. That's what he wanted the people to think about as he was telling that parable. It wasn't just an amusing story. There were some key points that he wanted to get across. The key points are about who goes home justified and the need to humble ourselves. And it was directed, as we're told in verse 9, on those who are confident in their own righteousness to the extent that they look down upon others. So there were some lessons here he wanted the crowd, he wanted us to think about in order that we can draw closer to him and deepen our relationship with him. So let's, let's have a look at each of these characters in turn. Let's have a look at the Pharisee um, first of all. We can see that as this uh, Pharisee says his prayer to God, he was actually very focused on himself. He was wrapped up in himself. He justified his own righteousness before God. He was confident in his own abilities. 
even when that involved justification before God. One of the songs we were singing earlier on, as we were worshipping the Lord, we were making the point that we don't come along to the service to be blessed, but we come along to worship him, to put him first, because there is nothing in ourselves that deserves that blessing. We acknowledge that we've all failed. We've all failed God. We continually fail each other because we're in, infallible. Uh, sorry, because we're fallible. <laughs> so let's just look at what the Bible has to say about, um, about this. In, um, in Proverbs 28, verse 26, it says, Those who trust in themselves are fools. Those who trust in themselves are fools. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Well, we know if you've read the Old Testament that Solomon was full of wisdom and he's written a, a number of books on um, what wisdom is. And the Bible reveals some of those truths to us. Um, in uh, Corinthians... 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, it says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The Pharisee believed that he was standing firm. He followed the, um, the law that um, the scribes had drawn out, and basically that law was there to help you keep the Ten Commandments, and they'd in many ways, if you've got the Ten Commandments as, as a sort of uh, as a baseline of, of what you need to do, they then created a whole bunch of, of laws around them so you didn't even get close to, um, to breaking one of those commandments. And the Pharisees dedicated their life to following this. So they were pretty confident that I've, I've followed this list and therefore I'm okay. I'm going to get to heaven. Those of us who have already made a commitment to Christ, are we confident that we've, we've done it? We said the prayer, we come along to church, our justification is assured. We've got our ticket to heaven. Last week or a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the Willy Wonka chocolate factory and getting your, your ticket, your golden ticket to, to go to the factory. Do we believe that we've done it all? We've done all we need to. We don't need to do anything more. We're justified. And we look down upon those who haven't made that commitment yet. In Hosea 10, uh, verse 13, there's a stark warning here. But you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception. Because you have depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. Do we believe that we have followed through the requirements and therefore we're in? Because coming to know our Heavenly Father is not a legalistic framework, it's a relationship. And we've all experienced relationships that go sour. 
because one party isn't continuing to be committed to that relationship and that relationship flourishing. So what are we sowing? That verse in Hosea spoke about um, uh, what you're sowing. And in Galatians 6, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If we have taken the purification that Jesus provides through dying for us on the cross so that we can enter into that relationship, but we don't continue to be committed to that, then what are we sowing? You know, there's some real stark warnings, and you might be sat there saying, well, you know, my theology is that if I've accepted Christ into, uh, into my heart, then that's it, I'm in. But there's a warning here in this parable not to be like the Pharisee who felt himself justified because of what he was doing, what he had done. And, you know, if you're struggling with some of what I'm saying at the moment, I don't want to disappear down a theological hole on this. What I'm trying to draw together here is what Jesus was saying in this parable. He was laying out before the, those who were listening to him a warning. He was taking two characters, one who was confident in his own righteousness and then this other man, which we're now going to look at. And it's really important we understand what Jesus was, was getting at here. You see, the tax collector's approach was completely different. There was a polar opposite here. And if we look in verse 13, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He didn't want to be center stage. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, this tax collector had still gone to the temple. He had gone through that process of coming to the temple because he wanted to have a connection with God. But he recognized his position before God. His approach as he came before God was totally different. What is our approach when we come to church? We're coming into the Holy of Holies. What is our approach when we have our devotions at home in the quiet place? Is it something we're fitting in? Are we sort of throwing down some, some breakfast cereal at the same time? We're coming before the Almighty God. And Jesus says that he humbled himself. Now, that's not normally a word that we use much in the English language at the moment. And it's a word that I, th I think often, certainly I always had a sort of... Uh, a sort of Dickens impression of the word humble and think of some little clerk running around the place, wringing his hands and uh, being very meek. But 
Let's just have a look at what it says in the Bible. What does it mean when it talks about humility? So let's have a look at Proverbs 22, verse 4. Um, was it verse 4? Verse, uh, yes, verse 4. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. It's the fear of the Lord. Are we meant to fear God? Is he a threat to us? You know, I really struggled with this, um, this definition. And, and then there were three different scenarios dropped into my mind of incidents when I've known fear. And uh, I think for most of them, probably you can share some of those experiences. The first one is if you cast your minds back to when you're at school, or you may still be at school, when you get that call to the headmaster's office. And you've got no idea why you're going, you've been called to the headmaster's office. And there's that really uneasy feeling you get in your stomach as you approach the door and knock and wonder what's going to uh, wait for you behind it. You know, another could be an interview panel when you're desperately wanting a job. You've seen this job, it's a brilliant job, you're keen to do it, and you've got to go before this interview panel, and you've done your prep, and you sit before that panel, and they're on the other side of the table, and they grill you with all these different questions. And there's a great opportunity ahead of you, if you can get through that, and you're fearing the consequence of it, you're fearing the actual interview, but you want to go through it. And there, again, there's that uneasy feeling in your stomach. Or maybe you're in a strange area, you're walking down a street. There's no one else around. It might even be dark. And suddenly, at the other end of the street, there's an imposing character walks around the corner. And they're walking towards you. And they look so much bigger than you. And they don't look like the sort of person that you normally associate with. And you're uneasy. What are they going to do? You know, for each of those three scenarios, I'm sure you will feel fear. But with the headmaster, as you walk through into the office, it might be that you've won the school prize. And there's a reward awaiting for you. But then again, maybe your mind's racing through all the misdemeanors you've been up to. And you're aware that there could be punishment. The headmaster brings both reward and punishment. On the interview panel, there could be a great opportunity that lies ahead, a really exciting opportunity. So although you're going into it with fear, there's an opportunity that lies beyond it. Alternatively, it could be the end of your aspirations in there in that area, and you've got to start that whole process all over again of looking for a job and applying for a job and getting through the various interviews. And the stranger coming down the street, are they going to harm you? I've certainly had um, people, as I've walked down the street at, at night, 
And I remember one incident in particular when I was a student. I'd actually got a, a brolly in my hand because I, I lived in, I studied in Plymouth. Those of you who know Plymouth will know that it often rains. And I had one of these little small fold-up brollies as I wandered down the street. And I remember this, this woman coming um, round the corner and seeing me wander down the street and she crossed over onto the other side. And I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. But she didn't know that uh, I wasn't going to cause her any harm. And in fact, if there was a threat around, I would probably have done the opposite. I would have been there to protect. But there was fear there, and I'm sure we've sensed that um, as well. We fear because we recognize that others that we're facing have both authority and power. And as we come before our God, we are told that we should fear God. Not because he's going to give us harm, but we fear God out of the authority and power that he has. Just think of the scenarios where you do feel uneasy. And I believe that's what the Bible is saying. That's what the when they were describing this, um, when the early writers were, were, were putting this into Scripture, they were encouraging us to be come before God, acknowledging, not being fearful, but acknowledging the authority and power that our Heavenly Father has. You see, the Bible also describes him as a God of, of love. And Jesus encourages us to see him as our Father. In fact, in Matthew 18, he says, whoever humbles himself like this child, this is when the children were wanting to come to Jesus and the disciples were keeping them away, but Jesus encouraged them to come before him because he said, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And the children were coming to him because they trusted him. They could see that he was someone who would look after them, that they were safe with him. And they were prepared to make themselves vulnerable before him. A child trusts because they're confident in that person. Our children trust us because they're confident that um, that, that trust that they're placing in them will protect them instruct them and guide them. Now I know that that trust is abused in this world and it was abused in the time of Jesus as well. But Jesus makes the point in, um, in Matthew 7, he says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts, to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We have a God who we can put in our, tr our trust in. He is there for us. His Son died on the cross for us. But we need to recognize the authority and the power that he possesses as we come before him. 
We do need to get that balance right. Reverent fear or reverent acknowledgement of his... I don't like to use that word fear because I don't... I believe we've got... We pigeonhole that into a certain um, uh, explanation which isn't what they're wanting to bring out in the scripture. They want to bring out that authority and power that he possesses. But how do we get the balance between that acknowledgement of the power and authority that he possesses and the fatherly love that he, protect, that he possesses? You know, there are different characteristics. And I suppose in some ways my kids have seen that um, in me because they know that in the past I was a soldier and I used to have to go into conflict situations where I'd have to, to uh, be prepared and actually use force. But at the same time, I was there as a father to them, to protect them, look after them, and uh, guide them. So how do we approach God? You know, in 1, uh, 1 Peter 5, um, 5 to 6, it says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. And we saw that in this um, parable of the uh, tax collector and the Pharisee. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may raise you up in due time. You see, that's what a father wants to do. He wants to raise you up. You know, with my kids, I want to see them flourish and achieve all that they are capable of doing, all the skills that are within them. But certainly I don't want to see them wandering around with arrogance. I want to see them there reaching out and helping others. You know, as, as um, the, uh, the Israelites approached the temple in Jerusalem, the, the old temple was high up on a, on a mount. It was higher than the city. And Jerusalem is actually uh, itself, within Israel, it's on one of the, the high um, uh, mountainous areas within Israel. So you will read in the Psalms, they've got the Psalms of Ascent. And the Psalms of Ascent are the Psalms that they would read as they were ascending up the hill towards the temple. And they would sing these psalms to encourage them. And on their pilgrimages, they would come up to Jerusalem. There were festivals at certain times of the year where they would worship in the temple. And on that journey, they would be singing and worshiping God, preparing their hearts for the um, sacrifices that they were going to be making at the uh, temple. But in that process of coming up there, you know, it was, it was hard, dusty terrain. They would be um, sweaty and, and, and dirty as they get there. But before you reach the temple area, there's, air, there's the opportunity to, to bathe and to, um, to completely both bathe to get the uh, physical dirt off you, but also they would do um, spiritual purification as well so that they could then clothe themselves in clean robes before they then ascended the final steps going up into the um, presence of God, into his, the temple area where they would be able to worship. You see, 
they prepared themselves for going into God's presence. Some years ago, Tracy and I were invited to have tea with the Queen. Uh, There were several hundred other people at the same time, I need to add. But it was a big occasion for us. And we went up to London and we met um, with some some others that I knew that had been invited uh, there. And um, I was there in, in a military capacity, so I had my my best uniform on and I'd spent um, the evening before sort of polishing up all the leather and all the shiny bits and um, Tracy had um, prepared herself and was looking very glamorous and then we processed into Buckingham Palace along with hundreds of others that had also been invited to tea Um, but we'd prepared ourselves for this great occasion for meeting with the king for the meeting with the queen. Um, How much more should we therefore be preparing ourselves when we come before the king of kings, when we come to church in our prayer times? But you see, God doesn't just see the externals. He sees what's going on in our hearts. We don't justify ourselves through sacrifice as they did in the Old Testament or in, under the new covenant by saying a prayer that gets us into the, uh, the kingdom of heaven. God doesn't listen to our words. He looks at our heart. He accepts us when our hearts are pure, when he can see in our hearts that we recognize who he is. Some weeks ago, we looked at Luke 15 and the story of the prodigal son. And in that story, which I'm sure you're familiar with, the son takes his inheritance, goes and squanders it, and then he comes to a moment where he realizes he's just made a terrible mistake. He's been a fool. He's completely repentant of all that he's done in his life. And he comes to that point and decides that he's going to ask forgiveness and just ask to be a servant. Not to be returned to the position of a son, but to be a servant in his father's household. And, you know, that's quite a humbling act. You know, that you're not just in the household, but all the other people in the household would know that once upon a time you were a son, but you don't deserve it because you've just completely messed up and you've taken advantage of um, your father. So in his heart, he, he realized what he'd done, and he made that long journey back to his, his father. But the incredible part of that story is that his father was waiting, and when he saw him, he didn't stand aloof and, and wait till his son was squirming and um, apologizing and letting him stew in it. His father ran to greet him and surrounded him with an embrace, took off his cloak and put it on him, gave him his ring. His father loved him. He was waiting for that point when the son returned. And when he saw the repentant heart, he just ran to him. And that's what our father is looking for. 
He sees our hearts. What is really in there. I just want to reread the actions of the uh, tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I've failed. I've taken advantage of your goodness. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. He acknowledged his failings. In his heart, he humbled himself before God. God saw him as his lost son. And he came running out to greet him. We're going to pray now. And as I pray, I just want to create space that if, you, if you're aware, whether you've already confessed and, and become a Christian and, and sort of acknowledged that God as your Lord or, or whether you haven't, I just want to give space for an opportunity to confess um, your faults. In the Lord's Prayer, we're encouraged to do this as a regular basis. And I also want to provide space for um, those who wish to, to um, acknowledge who God is and to invite him into their life. And it's this point of acknowledging who God is, that he is the almighty God, that Jesus died for us because of his love for us. And to not just confess those sins, but actually you're laying down your life and saying, Lord, I've messed up. I want to change direction, just as the prodigal son changed direction. And to accept him as Lord of our life. And the reason Jesus talks about letting kids come, um, not stopping them from, from for coming towards him, is because when we do that, we then need to put our whole trust in God. We're not saying, Lord, I trust you with this bit, but not that bit. Because it doesn't work that way. What marriage works that way? We say, Lord, I believe you've got the best for me, that you love me. That's not why I'm coming to you, because I know that I've sinned, but actually I can trust you because of that. I put my whole trust in you, knowing that you are a good father and I've got nothing to fear. My kids trust me because they know they've got nothing to fear. They don't know necessarily what I'm going to do, but they can trust because they know that they've got nothing to fear. So um, I'm going to pray. There's a prayer that will come up on the screen. If you want to, please pray it. And I, I think we will we'll then go into a time of, of worship. Um, after that as well. So if the worship group would like to just come up. Mm -hmm.
And can I just encourage you, if, if God is really speaking to you, if, if, if you are in a position where you're wanting to make a prayer of commitment, you've never done it before, it's really important just to um, share that with someone afterwards. You can come and have a chat with me, come and chat with uh, um, Lydia or Mark, the pastors, or, or someone that um, you, you came with, because it's important to testify to what you have, have just done. So, Father, let's pray. Father God. Father God. Father. Father, I thank you that your love for us is beyond our comprehension. That you sent your Son to die for us. Lord, as we just come before you now, we acknowledge that we, we have got stuff wrong so many times. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes we just, we just sort of make mistakes. We've tried, but we've failed. But I thank you that you are there waiting for us. I thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. And I pray that you would forgive us as we just lay these things before you. I do pray that you would um, forgive us. Yeah, Father God, I'm so sorry that I failed you and sinned against you and others again and again. I believe you love me and sent your son Jesus to die for me on the cross in my place so I might be completely forgiven and cleansed of all my wrongdoing. I ask your forgiveness and ask you to cleanse me completely so my relationship with you might be restored. I invite you into my life as my Lord, my God, and my Heavenly Father.